Welcome to episode 87 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Hey, welcome back to another episode. Um, I wanted to give a couple of tips for working on uh, articulation with older students. And these are not necessarily telepractice specific, but can be helpful. Um, That's what my caseload mostly is, uh, um, older students, not articulation. So my one tip would be try to get them off of your caseload as quick as you can. Which I know is not a great one, but really the reality is if you get to middle school or high school and you are still working in articulation sound, that sound has had 14, 15, 16 years to habituate. So I think one thing I tell my students is I want to get as many repetitions of this sound as we can in a session. Um, I also tell them that they need to be working on it in between because I cannot fix it in 30 minutes a week if they have been doing it wrong for the past 15 years. And then I really check in at every IEP and make sure that it is still a priority for the student and for the family because I know that I academics can take precedence. And, you know, if we are trying as a field and as a society to be more accepting and, you know, um, less ableist, then maybe Mm -hmm. we do ignore something like the way someone says an R sound or an S sound, some of those usually what are residual errors instead of, and if it's not impacting intelligibility too. So that's one of my tips. Other than that, if those kiddos are motivated, at least in the fact that they think this is still something I want to change about myself, um, or the parent feels that's still something they would like to work on, I found some things that Um, Some tips from other people and some tips I've learned along the way is anytime you can turn it into a game. So if there's something kind of externally motivating about it, um, things like, you know, can they, uh, can, are you doing so many and then you're playing a game like, you, you know, get this many and then we'll take a turn on Uno or anything like that. And even if you think they're too old for it, lots of times they just need something different in their day. I have yet to found a kid who didn't want to play Uno with me, <laughs> no matter the age. So, but, and then I found some uh, content that's been created for that too. Uh, Stacy Krause has a articulation battleship game, which has been my go-to ever since she created it. And she also has some other, like it's a pegboard game. So anytime you can make a competition, I think is great. Um, another thing would bringing some, like silliness into it too, um, in a in an age appropriate way. I had from uh, Eric Raj, who's also been a guest of the mm-hmm. podcast. He has a um, a resource on TPT, which I can link right. in the show notes. That is mm-hmm. a kind of would you rather type questions that have mm-hmm. the sound embedded in it, and you'd be surprised about how excited even like a high school student gets about talking about whether he would rather what was the one eat um, pancakes with thumbtacks on top or pancakes with your cat's hair on top or something like that. <laughs> that uh, And you'll have to go and look at the research because um, Eric also wrote a very funny uh, disclaimer that no one should try <laughs> any of the things listed in it. Right. 
But just finding something that makes it so they still want to do it. It's still fun for them to do it. And my rule is if I'm bored, they're bored. <laughs> so exactly. Yeah. if I'm bored doing it, they're bored doing it. So trying to make it something that's interesting helps too. I think those are great recommendations. Um, the The older students, you know, it's, it's just hard sometimes. Right. Just keeping them motivated and keeping them going. Yep. So those are those are great strategies, and I agree. You know, the Arctic at you know working with middle school or even high school students were on Arctic. It's like, how did you follow the cracks all these years? Right, <laughs> right. And sometimes it is like I ask them how long. I sometimes I'll be like, oh, you must have been in speech therapy for a long time, and they're like, no, I just started. You know, last right. year, the year before. And I'm like, why? <laughs> so right. I always hate it when that happens. Well, it's, you know, and, and things, and this is sort of an aside going off on a tangent, but <clears throat> what gra- you know, what really bothers me, and, you know, my wife, Maria, is also a speech language pathologist. So when we're watching a TV show like, you know, The Bachelor or Bachelor, mm-hmm. whatever, and there's this, you know, big speech impediment going on. It's like, here, here's this 20-something-year-old person out there doing their thing with this huge speech impediment. I mean, it's right. just like, well, how did that happen? How did they, how did you go through life and get to that point and not have this resolved? Mm-hmm. So they, it just makes me I think cringe. It's, it, it probably is almost, I'm sure we've had, we've had several people answer there. <laughs> and my own answer for what was your pet peeve is when people have those things that just like, and I don't think it's like in a judging way, but just the right. in the fact that it would have been so easy to fix it if you would have right. gotten the help when you <laughs> early on. Exactly. Exactly. It's like, yeah. if you could, we could have resolved this many yeah. years ago. Yeah. I'm sure it's the same way that like, you know, contractors look at crooked houses or something like that. It's exactly. the fact of like, oh, I could have fixed that. I could have <laughs> made that What better. were they thinking <laughs> doing it that way, you know? Yep. Yep. Yeah, Exactly. Well, on the podcast today, we have somewhat of a first. We have two sisters joining us at the same time. Yep. Uh, we have Julie and Jose Savinsky, who are our Canadian friends, who are joining us. And, you know, Julie's been on. She's a speech-language pathologist doing telepractice. And her sister, Jose, is actually a registered registered dietitian and a therapist, a psychotherapist. So she's going to talk about uh, her use of telepractice, but also ADHD and some of the challenges with that diagnosis. Hi, are you creative? Do you want to give a webinar or teach a course? Maybe you're a writer. Do you want to create a blog? Maybe you have an idea for a podcast. Whatever your passion is, we at 3C Digital Media Network want you to be a content creator so we can bring your ideas to life. So, to get started, visit our website at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com and sign up to be a content creator. We look forward to seeing your passions come to life on our platform. Okay, we want to welcome Jose. Did I get it right? 
You got it. <laughs> and Julie to the podcast. And we have our first, well, I guess not our first sister pair because my sister was on here too. Mm-hmm. So, but um, we have, both of you guys are sisters and we wanted to have you on today to discuss a couple of topics. So why don't you go ahead, uh, Julie, you've been on before. Jose, why don't you go ahead and uh, introduce yourself? Sure. Thank you. Um, Yeah. So I am Jose. I am both a registered dietitian and a registered psychotherapist qualifying. Um, I started as a dietitian. The psychotherapy piece is a little bit more recent in terms of my career journey, but it's been really, really wonderful adding that skill set. And I work in private practice. I um, co-own a business with a wonderful colleague um, called the Blossom Counseling Center, where we offer both nutrition counseling and psychotherapy to adults. Um, And some of the things that, like some of the concerns that we tend to support people with are uh, eating disorders, body image, um, ADHD, anxiety, self-esteem. Those are some of the more common sort of uh, concerns that we tend to support people with. And uh, yeah, we're a team of about five people in our practice. And um, yeah, that's, that's me. That's what I do. Awesome. Julie, you want to give us a quick um, introduction, even though you've you've been on uh, not too long ago? Yes, absolutely. So I am Julie Savinsky, Jose's sister. I also am a founder of a private practice, uh, speech and language pathology in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. Um, We work with both children and adults. And um, the clinic was founded in 2020 when the pandemic hit. And so it has Um, been quite the ride since then, but I absolutely love telepractice and Mm -hmm. I'm happy to be on again today. Thank you. And Jose, are you guys using in your practice using both in person and online or you're primarily one of those? What, What are you guys providing? Yeah, so we are still at 100% telepractice or virtual practice at this point. Um, Yeah. And we actually, so we're a team of five and we're actually spread out throughout Ontario. So I'm also in Ottawa, Ontario, Um, Mm. but we have a few providers on our team that are elsewhere in the province. And so that's been really cool, right? Being able to build a team of folks across the province because we're not limited by our geographic location, right? So that's, that's actually been really, really cool. And so I have to ask a question since, you know, you guys are sisters, what's the family life like in terms of both of you chose careers in the sort of helping professions? Is is there a common theme there with you? Do you have other siblings? Yes. So we have, uh, I'm the eldest, Jose is the ah. child, um, and we have a younger brother as well, not in um, a similar profession. Uh. <laughs> Yeah. So he's the black sheep of the family. <laughs> in that regard, yes. <laughs> well, yeah. It's great that you guys, you know, chose these kinds of professions to to work with. So uh, it's interesting. We talked about uh, right before we started recording some of the self-care uh, techniques or strategies that you guys have come up with. Um, maybe let's talk a little bit about that. 
Uh, and then we can certainly want to talk about ADHD and some of the other topics as well. But how do you both um, sort of practice self-care in terms of telepractice and working online with so many different clients and patients? I think the first thing that, um, or the major thing that Jose and I have previously discussed is scheduling boundaries. Um, it's easy to fall into a trap with scheduling, especially in private practice where you want to please everyone. Um, but it has been um, very important to learn to schedule within whatever you feel your energy level can um, accommodate, right? So I know that for myself, I give myself one Friday, every second Friday, no clients. Um, I do work a few evenings, but not every evening. If I work in the evenings, I don't work in the mornings. So I try to really set those boundaries and give myself that time during the day um, to do something else and not be working all day long, all of the time. Um, something that's very interesting is Jose and I have a little bit of a different approach when it comes to scheduling clients. So I'll, for me, I like to schedule my clients all back to back and just get it done, right? Because I'm in the groove. And if I stop for too long, it's kind of I'm dragging my feet trying to start again. Um, so I'll typically schedule five or six clients back to back. Um, whereas Jose, I'm going to let Jose explain what she does with her schedule. Yeah, it was really funny, because I don't think we knew this about each other until we talked about it yesterday. So um, yeah, so my approach is very different. I give myself pretty long breaks between clients. Um, I find that as someone who has ADHD, um, sessions require so much focus and so much concentration and so much presence, right? So I need to be really on for those 50 minutes or an hour, whatever that that length of time is. And whenever I finish sessions, I often feel pretty depleted, right? Like I, I can sense my energy just like, whew, just drop. And it does usually take me a little bit of time to sort of get back to a place where I feel like, okay, I'm ready for my next session. Um, and the other thing about that too, is that break between sessions also allows me to get started on some tasks that I find pretty challenging, like writing my notes, right? Writing my reports or my case notes. Um, as someone with ADHD, I find it to be a pretty boring task and it <laughs> takes me a lot of energy to get into it and to do it. And so I find that if I'm able to at least do part of it between sessions. Um, it feels a lot less overwhelming when I finish my day and I see what I have left to do. Um, and then I'll also use that break time to actually like get up, move my body. Right. Um, I find that like stillness of, of needing to be still during sessions quite challenging. And so I'll get up and do some stretches or Sometimes I'll have like personal dance parties, you know, <laughs> turn on some songs Ooh. that I love, um, grab a snack, go refill my tea, right? Whatever I need to do to sort of refill mm -hmm. my cup before jumping back in. So my days tend to stretch a longer period of time and my administrative work and, and that sort of thing is sort of sprinkled throughout the day as opposed to being a block of time at the end of the day, for example. Yeah, I like that. And just the idea of finding what works for you. I know um, I work with students. You, 
mostly during the school day and contracting with schools, but I did start to see a couple of private clients. And when I first did it, I was like trying to get as many as I could. And then I quickly realized that with my lifestyle and the fact that I have kids coming home, that during the school year, I could handle about one private client. And I'm not joking. One (laughs) private after school client was all I could handle on top of my school load. But during the summer, then I was like, oh, yeah, I can kind of, you know, like be that in between services for kids that are going to school and kind of beef up their services in the summer and then not do so many during the school year. So I think, you know, knowing that that can change too, that how you want to um, schedule people. And yeah, I like, I like those ideas of kind of finding what works for you. Absolutely. So, so scheduling and, and taking breaks and, and setting those boundaries all, great strategies. Uh, Are there other strategies that you guys would recommend? Julie, any thoughts before I jump in? (laughs) (laughs) Right now, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, sort of along the same lines as as what Julie was saying, um, one of the things I find really important is not stepping outside of what I know works for me, right? I know as someone who, you know, really cares about the people that I support and who really wants to accommodate. And I have been in positions in the past where I've, you know, scheduled appointments at times that I know don't work for me. And then I feel exhausted and, you know, I feel out of my groove and I realize that I can't actually show up in the way that I want to for the clients that I support, right. The people I support. So that's one thing. Um, Another thing I've found to be really helpful for me from a a self-care perspective, doing a lot of teletherapy, I do get a little bit of Zoom fatigue, right? Doing Mm -hmm. everything virtually. And I found that one thing that is helpful for me is, is varying this sort of work that I do. So not limiting myself to doing individual client work, but also, um, you know, working on social media content. And sometimes I'll even sort of step away and brainstorm with a pen and paper, right? So just Mm -hmm. like moving my face away from a screen for a little while. Um, I find that I'm reading a lot more physical books recently Mm -hmm. as well, just again, because digital things, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm over it. You know, I spend so much time looking at screens. So I have a bunch of, you know, work-related books that I might read between clients or so giving myself a break from screens, I find helpful and just varying the sort of tasks I'm doing throughout the day um, helps a lot. I find too. So it's interesting, you know, with, with some of the apps and like on some of the on the iPhone now you can track your screen time and all that stuff. And it's amazing how many hours a day. I know obviously we're doing it because we are providing professional services primarily online and looking at a screen, but yeah, the screen time issue is a, is a major problem. And, and it just, I I'm with you. It just kind of, after a while, you just feel fatigued and, and, and my eyes hurt. I have over here by the, by, right beside my computer, I have uh, eye drops. I have the blue tinted, the blue, the blue glasses are supposed to help. Uh, you know, so it's it's it, it just really wears you down after a while. I even have one of those ring lights just um, mm-hmm. on my laptop, and I find that after a while, it's just it it really bothers my eyes, and so mm-hmm. I have 
mindful and turn it off between clients when I have those 15 minutes um, because it, it, it feels very aggressive <laughs> after a little while. And there are just these little details that, um, you know, you might not think about, but eventually you realize and you, you adjust to make it work for you. Right. So that goes back to just making sure the environment is, is, is um, supporting your needs in terms of how you're interacting with not only with the screens, but just the environment as well, the lighting, the background, everything um, to, to support positive outcomes rather than sort of uh, wearing you down, so to speak. Absolutely. I think I like to be really cozy when I'm doing my sessions. I'll usually have a blanket on my lap, um, make sure, you know, the lighting's appropriate and, and that just that I'm feeling comfortable. And I think it, it does make a mm-hmm. huge difference. Yeah. Agreed. It was funny that uh, we're talking about this today because just yesterday I went, did a online training uh, that was part of the SLP summit that they do every um, couple of times a year. And they were talking about SLP burnout. And one of the questions that came up that I was wishing I was, you know, like physically or actually there so I could jump in and (laughs) answer was people that are concerned about connecting uh, with other professionals or feeling connected as a telepractice professional and being kind of physically separated for, from everybody. What do you guys um, have as tips for that? That's a great one. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a great question too. I know that, um, you know, with my team, we all work from home, right? We're not mm-hmm. ever in a physical location together, which is an interesting thing, right? Um, I don't know that a few years ago, I would have imagined that this would be sort of my business model in a sense. Right, it's it's right. interesting. Um, one of the things that I absolutely love, um, I don't know if you, either of you or all any, all three of you are familiar with um, the platform Discord, mm-hmm. um, similar to Slack, right? So mm-hmm. um, a, a chat sort of platform. We have one of those servers for our team. And the really cool thing with those types of platforms is you can separate, you can sort of have different channels for different topics. So Mm -hmm. um, our team discord is quite, you know, it's, it's a happening place. There's a lot of conversation (laughs) that happens there. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's as simple as like folks checking in with each other or, you know, folks Mm -hmm. sharing if they're having a hard day and then we can sort of jump in and support each other. Um, There's a lot of resource sharing that happens. Um, A lot of, you know, just like, Hey, like I'm, I'm working with the client who's experiencing this and I don't have a lot of resources. Like, where could I look for that? Or so just a lot of, of, that sort of informal support that it sort of feels like I'm going to knock on my colleague's door, you know, of their office to be like, Mm -hmm. Hey, how's it going? And I find that I feel a lot more connected to my team, having that sort of consistent communication throughout the the week. Um, I also schedule a lot of video calls with colleagues now, just half hour check-ins so we can chat Mm -hmm. about how we're doing and, um, support each other and help each other out. I have a lot of friends who have their own practices and we sort of refer, you know, back and forth to each other. So we, um, I, I try to collaborate with a lot of people and that helps a lot in terms of the, the isolation that can come from doing telepractice Mm -hmm. in private practice at home in the middle of a pandemic. So, (laughs) and for me, um, 
it's interesting because when I started speech speech therapy, I was the only practitioner right. um, clinic of one. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I did feel that isolation, especially being um, a tele telepractitioner. Um, and mm-hmm. so um, I did try to stay in contact with some old colleagues from other work- workplaces I had um been to in the past or um, old classmates from when I was in university. Um, just, you know, talking about some SLP things, but also other um, other topics as well, just to stay connected and not feel so alone um, sitting in my office at home <laughs> with clients all day. Um, right. But now um, in the past six months, I've hired two SLPs um, to contractors. And so Mm -hmm. it feels more like a team now. And I feel like just as we're chatting about different things, um, business related, therapy related, it feels better to just have those connections and have a Mm -hmm. team rather than being just myself. Right. And I think if, you know, it's kind of like creating your own team if you don't have one, whether it be like there mm-hmm. is, you are working by yourself, but you have, you know, like some go-to friends or colleagues or even for me, it's been sometimes just Instagram accounts. I'm like, I know I don't really know you, but I feel like I know you <laughs> right? <laughs> because they're supporting you and, you know, you know, the things that they're creating and sharing are helping you too. So I think that it can be really similar to how you would do it in person. There's just a different level of effort to create it. Yep. And I do feel like my, my Instagram page allows me to connect, especially with other speech pathologists, because we'll post some things and react to each other. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh, good. It's not just me that feels that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, hello, friend. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. That's helpful. I I do enjoy Mm -hmm. that a lot. Yeah, I do as well. I also have an, a professional Instagram page where I follow a bunch of other dietitians and therapists. And um, yeah, I've made some really cool connections through online platforms. And I think, yeah, we can't discount that, right? That's actually really meaningful, especially in times where we might be feeling more disconnected and isolated. Right. So we talked about earlier the the idea of of discussing the topic of ADHD. So Jose, you mentioned that you have a diagnosis. So from a personal perspective, how has that been for you? And and how did that play out in terms of maybe schooling and and social life and other things? Because I have some family members who, who also have that diagnosis. So I'm, I'm really interested in hearing how you've navigated that. Yeah, it's, it's been really fascinating. Um, I am someone who I was diagnosed fairly recently. So just in, in 2021, um, as a full-blown adult, right. (laughs) I, um, I've gone through most of my life, right. Without knowing this about myself and, I know that for so long I've struggled with so many things and because I didn't have the understanding that I had ADHD and that that was a big component in terms of why these things were a struggle, I had a lot of shame, right? And experienced a lot of embarrassment and a lot of like, what is wrong with me, right? Like, why can't I do these seemingly simple things that, yeah, seems so easy for other people, right? And I know that even professionally, that was very hard. You know, I would see colleagues 
you know, do all of these projects and like seemed so on right when I was just struggling to like do what I felt was the bare minimum. Um, so I know that personally, you know, discovering that about myself, getting diagnosed, looking, you know, really doing a deep dive into what it means for me personally has been really, really lovely. Like it's really opened up opportunities for self-compassion and for me being more gentle with myself and more understanding and um, learning to work with my brain, right? Now Mm -hmm. that I sort of understand where the struggles are coming from and what my patterns are, I can work around that. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that has been really like liberating. I know that sounds a little Mm -hmm. intense, but it really has been. (laughs) I can see how it would be. Yeah. Would be liberating to, to, to have these questions and then finally getting an answer. And understanding. So my husband was actually diagnosed as an adult also. And we, I tell this story in that he had been, um, we had been married for six years. And every time you asked him how much school he had left, the answer was three years. So for six years, the answer was three years of how long (laughs) he had left in school. And, and I think it was the same thing that he, thought that he wasn't capable of doing this, that like there was something wrong with him. Maybe he wasn't supposed to go to college and something like that. And he was actually sitting in a special education class where they were talking about ADHD and came home and was like, Kim, I think I have that. And I'm like, oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> and it, it just like, it was the same thing. It makes all of these pieces fit together um, of why certain things are a struggle. So I... Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It has been, it's been so helpful just in terms of having a, like a better understanding of myself. Um, yeah, I know that, you know, professionally, for example, some of the things that I found really difficult was, for example, like I've signed up for so many trainings and webinars that like just exist in my inbox, right? Like I, Mm -hmm. I know they're there and they're just looming and I want to do them, right? Like I'm interested in the topics and yet I just get stuck, right? And Mm -hmm. not um, understanding that that is part of my ADHD brain is like the follow through with things can be really difficult. And I tend to have these like bursts of interests in certain areas. And then I, you know, I go, I I get very, very interested and I do all the things and I got Mm -hmm. all the trainings and then that sort of starts waning. And then I'm left with like, okay, where do I go now? It's um, uh, like looking for your next fix. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. To, you know, it's, it's, yeah. And so it's like you, you, you've sort of expended all your energy on that, but you're now lost that interest. And now like, what's the next thing I want to get into? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's definitely, um, it seems to be a trend for a lot of, of ADHD years, this idea that, you know, we, are very good at at being interested in a lot of things. Right. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. like, I know I've cycled through a lot of hobbies and I will sometimes go back to them and pick them up again, but Mm -hmm. I'm not, you know, there's sort of this idea in the ADHD world that like the one consistent thing about ADHD years is the inconsistency. Right. (laughs) And, (laughs) and I say that really lovingly, right. Because that is something that I experience and I don't think that's anything to be ashamed of. Right. It really is sort of understanding that that's not a bad thing, right? I've, I've like 
dipped my toes in a bunch of things. And that is really cool, right? It means that I, um, I know a lot of stuff about things, right? <laughs> and uh, right. yeah, so just having a better understanding of those sorts of things has been really helpful for me personally and professionally. So what advice would you give someone who may suspect that they have ADHD and, you know, obviously maybe finding a counselor or finding a a psychiatrist or general practitioner, someone to go talk to, to get a diagnosis. But before that can happen, what are some suggestions, maybe some recommendations? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great question because I know that at least here in in Ontario and Canada, there's a lot of barriers to diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes, there's either like very very extensive wait lists in the public health care system, or you have to pay a private practitioner, and then oftentimes you're paying out of pocket, or it might be just partially covered by like private insurance. And so it can be very expensive, like thousands of dollars to get a diagnosis. So I know a lot for a lot of folks, like getting diagnosed, isn't even something that is accessible. So, um, one of the things that I know I personally did before being able to access a diagnosis is I did a lot of reading, um, reading people's lived experiences of ADHD. So, Mm. There's a lot of people who have blogs and there's a, you know, there's a lot of like Reddit threads, right? Mm -hmm, About people mm -hmm. sharing their experiences with ADHD, a lot of Instagram accounts um, and really learning from that lived experience, right? I love learning from like firsthand accounts of like, this is what it's like for me to have ADHD. And Mm -hmm. I remember having a lot of light bulb moments of like, oh my goodness, that's me too, right? Like I fully see myself in that experience. And, um, that in itself was very validating even before I got an official diagnosis, right. I, um, still felt sort of connected to the ADHD community and started feeling a bit more confident in, you know, sort of saying that I suspected I had ADHD, um, listened to a lot of podcasts. So in very, kind of funny in very like ADHD fashion. I didn't (laughs) dive into learning about ADHD, which is kind of ironic, Mm -hmm. but um, I'm okay with that. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, so that's what I would say. You know, there's a lot of of people sharing their experiences and their stories out there. And that's so, so valuable. Um, And then, yeah, speaking to, you know, your family doctor um, or nurse practitioner, whoever, you know, supports you in your health. Sometimes, you know, there's a, there's varying levels of understanding and experience when it comes to ADHD and sort of general practitioners. Um, so I've heard different accounts in terms of people feeling supported or not when they've asked about it with their family doctor, nurse practitioner, um, often coming in armed with information. So finding the screening tools yourself and filling them out and bringing them with you to your appointment, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And saying like, hello, here's here's what I'm seeing. Are you seeing this? Right. Uh, so sometimes there is a bit of a more of a role in terms of self-advocacy. Um, but yeah, that would be, those are a few things that are coming to mind in terms of that. And, and in your practice, uh, you'd mentioned nutrition being a part of this process as well. Would you mind just, chatting about how nutrition plays a role. 
Sure. Yeah, I would say that from a nutrition lens, when I support folks with ADHD, a big part of it, it's honestly less so about what people eat and it's more so about the process of nourishing themselves, Mm -hmm. right? So the process of like planning meals and cooking meals and um, just the whole logistics, right? right? When you think about just how much like executive functioning we have to put into nourishing ourselves and feeding ourselves on a daily basis, it's a lot. And it can be a really big struggle for folks with ADHD. And so a lot of that is sort of finding like the easiest, you know, the path of least resistance in terms of Mm -hmm. getting nourishment in. Um, So a lot of, of little tips and hacks and things that will help people to make sure that they're they're able to get meals and snacks in throughout the day. So um, yeah, interestingly, it's less about like, oh, these are the foods you should eat to support your ADHD or your symptoms, right? Because we don't have a ton of evidence um, that supports that sort of recommendation. So a lot of it is really more so coming from a lens of like the practical component of feeding yourself, which is hard. So um, yeah, so that's mainly my role, I would say from that perspective. I love that because it's something that like, I never would have thought of. But the minute that you said it, I was like, Oh, yeah, that's why sometimes <laughs> like me or my husband, you know, gets together today. And we're like, Oh, yeah, we forgot to eat. <laughs> like, it's kind Absolutely. of that thing that it's like, you get that hyper focus on other areas. And that it's just the this, you know, the scheduling part of it can be helpful too. for sure. Another thing I was thinking, and both of you are welcome to jump in on on this one, is what can we do as professionals to kind of, especially in the telepractice realm, to kind of accommodate and change the, what we're doing to support our clients that may have ADHD? I have a lot of thoughts about that. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not surprising. Um Julie, anything you want to contribute before I jump into my spiel? Because it will be a spiel. (laughs) (laughs) I might just say a few things about pediatric clients and what I've done for them. Um, Just very simple things like providing lots of breaks during our sessions, allowing for movement, um, letting them have fidgets if that is helpful. Um, If a client wants to work standing up rather than sitting down, I have no problem with that. Mm -hmm. Um, If they're able to tell me what they need, I will accommodate if I can. Um, If they're not able to, I'll try to do things like like providing breaks and such. Um, So those are the types of things that I've done with the little guys. Perfect. And a lot of that applies to adults as well, Mm -hmm. to be quite honest. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. So a lot of, um, yeah, like I, I, there are some of my clients who, um, during our therapy sessions will also be coloring, right. Or will also Mm -hmm. be, um, like working on other tactile things, um, like allowing people to sort of self-regulate in whatever way is going to be most helpful for them. Um, I think often people have this idea that if folks are fidgeting or stimming or like doing an activity during sessions, that means that they're not paying attention. And in fact, Mm -hmm. the reality is often the opposite, right? That when you allow people to engage their senses and um, Mm -hmm. self-regulate through movement and that sort of thing, oftentimes they're in a much better place to actually be present and focused. Um, 
so really allowing space for that, um, giving people permission, um, staying attuned to people, right? Like if you sense that there's a lot of, of drifting that's happening or folks are losing track of the conversation or, you know, checking mm-hmm. in and seeing if people need breaks, right? If we need to take a moment to like roll out our shoulders and, you know, do whatever we need to do to, to sort of come back to, to the session. Um, the, the one component that comes to mind for me as well is memory. So I know that personally, like I forget what I talk about in my own personal therapy all the time, right? If someone was like, what'd you mm-hmm. talk about in therapy yesterday? I'd be like, well, I don't know. I remember it being helpful, <laughs> but I don't, I couldn't tell you, right? Mm-hmm. And that, so one of the things that I'll sometimes encourage folks to do is to take notes as we're chatting, or I might even share my part of my notes. You know, I might send an email with like, here are a few things we talked about, or here are mm-hmm. a few things you mentioned you wanted to try, right? And sort of including that that information. So supporting folks in, yeah, finding ways for them to remember things. And oftentimes visual cues are helpful. I know that a lot mm-hmm. of ADHDers struggle specifically with auditory memory. So hearing mm-hmm. things can be like, it can easily leave your memory versus right. if you see it, that can be right. more helpful. Um, making sure that, you know, you give people an option of getting email reminders for their appointments or text reminders for their appointments um, is another memory piece as well. Um, Yeah. And another piece that is more so around not necessarily the practical things we can do in sessions, but more so the, how we approach ADHD, right? I'm a big fan of not pathologizing it right? Mm -hmm. Um, This is just the way my brain is. It's not good or bad. It just is, right? My brain is different. And um, I live in a world that often doesn't accommodate for my brain or isn't built for how my brain works. And that is what is failing me, right? It's not that my brain is failing. And so that sort of neurodiversity affirming approach, Mm -hmm. right, Right. is, is so important, right? I don't want people leaving sessions feeling more ashamed because they struggle with certain things. So I do a lot of validating and a lot of helping people recognize that they're not broken, right? Mm -hmm. And that even though technically ADHD has the word disorder in it, right? Right. That doesn't mean we have to treat it as this like thing that needs to be fixed. So yeah. Yeah. If if I can jump in, I'm just thinking of little people that I work with who, I don't know, people sometimes have this, like Jose said, like this um, image of ADHD as if it's something bad. And these children, they can't really advocate for themselves. And so if they're being told sort of directly that fidgeting Mm -hmm. or moving around a lot or being distracted or whatever it may be that that's wrong, then that's like, that's really sad. (laughs) And it's just, realize that um yeah yeah yeah. I had that I had a um an IEP lately that uh one of the other special education providers you know very well meaning was like well if he's going to get a job he needs to not fidget and look at his hands while he's um while he's speaking to other people and so could we write a goal on that and I was just like (laughs) 
I'm not going to do that. Right. <laughs> I flat out was like, yeah. no, no, it's a, it's a student with anxiety and ADHD. And I'm going to increase both of those if I try to get him to stop. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think, and you know, so in that way, we just need to teach them to, we need to help with the self-advocacy that, you know, maybe when you go into a job interview, you are going to tell them, Hey, I might, wiggle around more than you're used to with your other applicants, but it's just because of this, whether they want to, you know, self-disclose that or not, but just, and educating other people about it. So we get used to it when it's not something that we're like, you know, everyone has to sit in their chair while we're learning kind of mm-hmm. viewpoint. <laughs> so yeah, I, I feel like, you know, kind of that I saw Josie, you kind of like got up in arms with that when I mentioned that. And that's, that's kind of how I feel too. And I'm, I'm glad that there are people that are sharing their own experiences. Cause I think as a field, we've all been in this kind of pathologizing um, viewpoint of it and trying to fix it instead of mm-hmm. teach our kids how to deal with it and what they can do with it. Absolutely. Yeah. I, spent so much of my life. There's this term, I don't know if you're familiar with it, this idea of masking, right? Mm -hmm. So trying to hide my ADHD traits as much as possible to try to blend in. And I think I've, I, even as an adult, like that's such a common thing in the professional world, right? There's all these expectations of what like being professional means. And so that's exhausting. You know, it's exhausting Mm -hmm. to have to do that constantly just to sort of survive and like navigate that world. And so, um, of course, you know, there's always this sort of balancing act, right? Like I can, I feel like I can fully unmask with the people on my team, right. Who Mm -hmm. know me and who embrace me and who also have this idea of, you know, being neurodiversity affirming. Um, and then I might not unmask in other settings where it doesn't feel as safe for me to do so, right. Where there might, the stakes might be higher. and that's, that's really, that's hard, right? And I think you made a good point around like, we have to change the world around us, right? It's, it, we have to change people's attitudes towards it so that people do feel safer to be themselves, right? And to, um, yeah, like fully embrace how their brain works with other people. So, and I, and just to, just to play a little bit of a devil's advocate, um, I mean, there's certainly a range of therapies in, in some, some children or adults may need medication or other things depending right. on their neural makeup. Um, mm-hmm. So I didn't want, I don't want our listeners to think, Oh, we don't want to prescribe things because for some people that might actually be the best route for them. Of course. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, we want to make sure that, that people who possibly have ADHD feel accepted and and feel that uh, supported by by the community and by others. Absolutely. No, for sure. I mean, I'm I'm very pro-medication, right? Pro um therapy, right? And in, in in the circumstances where it makes sense for someone, right? And that's what they want for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I think the the piece around not pathologizing is not that, you know, we eliminate any sort of supports, right? I sort of see therapy and medication as supportive aspects of your life, right? Things that help you engage more meaningfully in your life, um, as opposed to things that are trying to like change you or fix you. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. 
but thank you for raising that. That's a really important point. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, uh, Julie, did you tell Jose about our most important aspect of our interview? Well, Jose found out from my podcast. Oh, she did. (laughs) Well, I have something that, uh, that I haven't even told Kim about Ooh. because uh, Julie, you have already done this and you heard the questions that we used at that time. Yes. Now we have, I developed two new lists of questions. Oh, he's throwing us a curveball. <laughs> so, so you can choose. List B or C, because list A, you've already done, Julie. So, Jose, why don't you choose list B or C? I'm going to go with list B. B. Okay. So, this is our moment of Zen. So, are you ready? (laughs) I am ready. First question. What's the most annoying thing about your sister? No, just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, first question is, would would you describe yourself as an introvert or an extrovert? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I often say I'm an introverted extrovert, which I realize is unhelpful, but I'm more of an extrovert, but I do, um, I am someone who really benefits from alone time and from like a reduced stimulation and that sort mm-hmm. of thing. Um, but I can be, you know, a bit of a social butterfly as well. So. I feel like I'm a bit of both, but I lean more heavily on the extrovert side. Okay. Julie, how would you answer that? Definitely an introvert. There is no question about it. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, a very friendly introvert. I enjoy, (laughs) but I get fatigue. Um, And I'm, I'm yes, definitely an introvert. Okay, good. Um, What's the best compliment you've received? Mm. That is a good question. I I would say that the best compliments usually come from my clients. So mm-hmm. whenever a client ends a session and says like thank you so much today was so helpful, right? Or I really mm-hmm. appreciated you being here. Um those feel like the best compliments, right? Like, ah, I've done my job well. And I can like hold that to my heart forever. So that's what came to mind for me. (laughs) I agree. I've had the same types of comments from clients and gosh, it just, it feels so great. Um, Yeah. You just, you know, hang up that call and you feel just so amazing um, because we do spend so many hours a week helping people. And we hope that it is, helpful and that they're enjoying their time with us. But when they take the time to express that, um, it really makes a difference. And I personally feel very proud and happy to hear those comments. Cool. Um, Number three, who has been the most influential person in your life and how did he or she impact you? Hmm. That one is very hard to limit to one person <laughs> or just a person, just a person that's had an impact. Yeah. Um, one person that I'll name, um, because they're sort of 
top of mind is I have a a clinical supervisor for my therapy practice because I'm Mm -hmm. still a newer therapist. So um, sort of a mentor, right? Someone that's Mm -hmm. helped me to join this field and kind of grow as a therapist. Um, Her name is Marlies Mayland. She's also a therapist and we connect on a regular basis. And she's been so instrumental in me becoming the therapist that I am today and will continue to. So shout out to Marlies for being wonderful. (laughs) That's great. Julie, do you have someone? I often say my grandmother when I'm asked a question like this. Um, Mm -hmm. Our grandma had, you know, she's been through a lot of hardships in her life, um, sadly, and Mm -hmm. she's still the most positive, kind person you will ever meet. She lights up a room. She's so caring, has so much love in her heart. And I just feel she radiates um, strength and resilience. And I hope that, you know, as I go through difficult things in my life, I can handle them with grace like she does. Um, So I do look up to her very much. Excellent. That's great. Okay. Next question. What do people misunderstand most about you? Oh, I mean, it has to be something ADHD related <laughs> for me. I'm, you that know. you're actually listening to their conversation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not sure. I think actually, you know, one of the things I've been often told in the last, you know, few years of like exploring whether I have ADHD or not, I've often been told, oh, I never would have guessed that you have ADHD or I, you know, I'm surprised to hear that. Um, I think a lot of my ADHD experience is internal, right? It's a lot of internal chaos that other people might not see from the outside. Um, so yeah, I think that that's what came to mind for me. Um, yeah, as often people not seeing me as someone who could have ADHD, which speaks to the sort of stereotypes that exist, of course, around ADHD, but yeah. I think for me, it's, it's along the lines of my introversion. Um, some people think that an introvert is someone who is not social, like they have social anxiety, they are not fun to be around, they're mm-hmm. super shy. Um, and, you know, it's not because I want to stay home on a Friday night that I'm <laughs> not a friendly person. Um, so mm-hmm. I think a lot of misconceptions about what an introvert is. Um, it's just that we need to recharge our batteries a little bit more often following socialization. But I think some people think it's antisocial, social anxiety type of personality. And so that's not true. Very good. Excellent. Um, what's something surprising that you've learned about yourself hmm. that you haven't mentioned? Hmm. I am. I don't know. Julie, do you have anything in mind so I can continue thinking about this question? (laughs) (laughs) I was sort of thinking um, just my ability to, to be a leader, right? Here I am with my own clinic, um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. other um, professionals, and I'm surprised at my ability to do this. And right. Surprised and proud, of course, but um, Mm -hmm. 
yeah, I think that's, that's what I would say. Awesome. I love that. And I'm glad you went first because that sparked an idea in my brain. Um, The one thing that has really surprised me in the last six months or so is how much I love doing bookkeeping for my business, (laughs) which I know is very (laughs) random, but um, Mm -hmm. I've gotten more and more into supporting that side of of our business. And I like weirdly love it, which is strange Mm -hmm. because I'm, you know, I'm a therapist, I'm a dietitian, I'm someone who like loves people work. And so Mm -hmm. the fact that I enjoy such a technical sort of Mm -hmm. kind of cold task, you know, is, is really surprising to me. I thought I would hate it, but I weirdly love it. So cool. That's great. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Do do you have a favorite quote? Hmm. I don't have one that specifically comes to mind. Okay. Neither do I. Okay. We'll move on. How do you define success? I would say that to me, success is living a meaningful life that aligns with what's important to you and aligns with your values. And so that will absolutely look different for everyone. But I think when our our actions and our lives are being guided by what we feel is important, right? And the things mm-hmm. that we stand for, then I would say that that's a pretty successful life. Mm-hmm. Nicely fulfilling, done. Mm-hmm. Fulfilling a purpose and mm-hmm. feeling, feeling joy and contentment um, is also success to me. Awesome. Those are great. What's the best advice a mentor ever gave you about your work or life or life in general? I could write a book (laughs) about all of the things that I've learned going back to my supervisor, my mentor, um, Marlies. Um, One of the things that, that she really emphasizes in our work together is how like so much of being a therapist is just being a human, right? Like being a human with another human and offering mm-hmm. that humanity, right? Offering that presence, that space, that compassion, that empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, and so in that way, you know, being a therapist is so much more about your way of being in session than it is your way of doing or what you're doing. And I fall back on that a lot when I'm you know, experiencing that imposter syndrome. And I'm like, do I even know how to do this work? Um, I ground myself in this idea of like, you know what, you know how to be human and you know how to be warm and empathetic and kind. And those are really the foundation of the work. So, yeah. Good. That sounds really good. (laughs) (laughs) I would add, you know, along those lines, some advice that I've heard is sometimes when we're doing therapy, it's more about just showing up and being there um, for a family, for a client. It's mm-hmm. not really exactly what you're doing while you're there, but it's showing up and being a friend to the family and being um, a partner and helping them, you know, get through some hard times. Um, yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Um, do you have a hack? that you've discovered that works well. And that could be 
anything. Anything. Could be work-related, home-related, car, travel, mm. whatever. <laughs> I use so many of them on a daily basis just to like survive. And yet I am blanking on what those actually are right now. I have a good random one I'll share while people okay. are sure. thinking. Good, good. I saw this the other day of when you, this is so random, uh, when you make microwave popcorn that mm. if you open the bag a little bit when you're done with it and shake it upside down, all of the like unpopped kernels will come out and then you're just left with the popped popcorn. <laughs> Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, I like that. That was like one of those TikTok little hacks that I was ah, like, there you I love go. that. And it works. <laughs> love it. Awesome. <laughs> I might pass on this one because I don't, have any ideas right now <laughs> for us we're good <laughs> okay we'll just so, stick with the popcorn one <laughs> okay so jose i think you should answer this question because uh julie's already answered because this is the original one of the original questions is if heaven exists what do you want to hear god say when you arrive at the pearly gates oh that is a good question um like that I lived my life with integrity, you know, uh, similar to what I I said earlier that, Mm -hmm. you know, I was guided by my values and just did my best. Right. And all my messiness and all my humanness. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, why don't both of you just uh, give out how people can reach you, contact you uh, through website or whatever you want to share, Instagram, and do that. And then so that people can, can find you. Hey, I will go first. This is Julie speaking. Um, <laughs> if you're looking for me at Sweet Speech Therapy, the website you can find us at is um, www.sweetspeechtherapy.ca. And um, our handle on Instagram is Sweet Speech Therapy. Now, this is Jose talking. I realize our voices are very similar. So I hope people aren't confused as they listen to this episode. But um, the best way to find me would be, yeah, through my website, which is blossomcounselingcenter.com. And it is all of it is the Canadian way. So um, counseling has two L's and center is T-R-E. Um, so that would be the website. And then on Instagram, I'm Jose Savinsky RD. So that's registered dietitian. Um, pretty active on there if uh, folks want to go find me there. Great. Awesome. Well, we wish you guys just continued success and everything that you're doing. And please come back at some point. Thank, Thank you so much for having us. What a joy it was to do a podcast episode together as yeah. sisters. <laughs> so so really, really, what's the most annoying thing about each other? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think we'll keep that for the next episode. Okay, that's the next one. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. <laughs> Julie and Jose Sovinsky joined us today. It was a great Great interview. The first time we've had two sisters on the podcast together. And I learned so much about attention deficit disorder and 
and working with adults and, and so many other pointers that I'm going to use tomorrow when I go in uh, to work. So uh, thank you guys for joining us. It was really wonderful to have you on and good luck with everything that you guys are doing. And thank you for joining us, our faithful listeners of this podcast. If you don't mind, please rate, review, subscribe, and follow. And if you haven't uh, done so yet, go check out our Facebook page. Actually, it's a Facebook group that we have formed for the podcast, and we really want that to grow. So go over to Facebook. If you're on Facebook, go to our group, Telepractice Today, and we post uh, lots of items there. So please uh, check it out. And with that, we'll see you again next week. Same time, same place. Until then, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.